Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. Have you ever wondered how a book becomes a movie? Or how a movie becomes a musical? Or how anything is adapted at all? Join us as we talk about your favorite stories and all the changes that were made along the way. But more importantly, why? This is Willing to Adapt. Hi, welcome back to Willing to Adapt. I'm Eric Von Crumley. And I'm Romy Reyes. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah? Yes. Long day, but I'm doing good. Yeah. It's been a long week for me. We've been redoing um, a lot of the kids' ministry classrooms at, at church. We've been tearing down walls, oh, okay. making one big classroom. So That's cool. There's a lot in the works going down. I can't get into all of it right now. but Tearing down walls is better than building up walls. I've been learning a lot, but it's been fun. All right. You missed my joke. I did. Yes. Either that or I ignored it. <laughs> Probably. A lot of people ignore my jokes. I've come to learn. Say something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so today's actually a really fun one. Uh, I was excited about this one. Today we are talking about the book, Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Or you might be more familiar with the movie adaptation. Mm -hmm. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Very different. Yes, it was. Basically their own entirely different things. Mm -hmm. Yes, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. First of all, we'll ask the question we always do. When did you first read this book? Uh, right before, well, not right before our recording. Just but now, the, like yeah, on pretty the, much. On the drive over. On the drive over, I finished it. <laughs> it was interesting, yeah, at the very end. Uh, everyone lives happily ever after. Sure. So, no, the, the uh, honestly, it wasn't until we were discussing topics and you brought this one up. I did not realize there was a book until you mentioned it. Most people don't. Yeah, I was actually very surprised. Yeah, I, I didn't read the book until this podcast either. Oh, okay. See, I was under the impression you had read so it you, No, no, you and I were both on the same page for this one. Oh, okay. We, we were learning. I, I knew of the book. Okay. I, I had stumbled onto the book at one point, and I was, I was thinking, what is this? Yeah. Just like, you know, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't know The Secret of Nim was a book originally. Mm, and then I came across the, two, the book, yes. and I was confused because the name was different in the mm. book yeah. from what I was used to. So it's similar because it's who censored Roger Rabbit. Yes, but no, I I stumbled onto it and I I knew the synopsis okay prior to reading it, but I I had forgotten a lot of it by the time I went to read it. Oh okay. Yeah, but I grew up with the movie. Mm-hmm. I grew up with the movie. I my dad worked for Disneyland for twenty five years and we would go all the time and we watched movies Disney movies all the time growing mm-hmm. up. Yeah, this was definitely on top for one of my favorites growing up. And really? That's interesting. Well, it was, it was one of those that, like, I wouldn't, as a kid, go, I want to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit every day, but if somebody said, you want to watch Roger Rabbit, I never said no. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember when I saw the movie for the first time. You probably have the date. It was well. You were alive for when it came out. Yeah, you weren't. You, I wasn't. It came really? out in '88. Oh, was it that that long ago? Okay, yeah, it was that long ago. We'll cut the cough out. Sure. So I I don't remember. Yeah, the if, movie came out five years before I was born. Sorry. Okay, so I don't remember if I saw it in the theater with my parents or if my it was one of those movies like I mentioned in previous podcasts where my dad would bring it home from the library and we watched. I want to say we actually went to the theater to see it, but it's a little fuzzy. I, I vaguely remember because how old would I have been if it was eighty eight? 
Mm-hmm. When was I born? You would know that, not me. Um, so yeah, I would have been a preteen. But I, I'm almost positive we went to. Were the you trying to do the math in your head? I was trying to do the math in my head. I'm tired. I'm. <laughs> this is the second time someone this afternoon. Well, what year were you born? Head. Just tell us all. I was born in 19. <laughs> Wow, the quality must have gone out just now when you covered your mouth. <laughs> Great. So, <laughs> so you like the movie? I did like the oh, movie. Oh, I love the movie. Yeah. How'd you feel about the book? You know what? Because, okay, so... Mm-hmm. I haven't watched, I mean, read a lot of detective novels, but I've listened to audio dramas of them. Uh, in the past okay because my dad was kind of he liked audio drama stuff and introduced us to uh, even the radio the radio was still replaying old ones at times sure and because of the nostalgia of what that brought from the book I enjoyed it uh, I I will say which we'll get to the ending was different of the book yes. yeah and and for once again if you're listening to this, we, usually, we don't give spoiler alerts because you've had plenty of years to read it by now and hopefully ahead of time. I feel like the only time I would ever give a spoiler alert is if we were talking about a movie that just so, came out when yeah. we were recording. And it's a, yeah, but it would have to be like a brand new adaptation with a different ending. But again, I've said yeah. it before, I'll say it again. If they're listening to a podcast about about this, they they're probably <laughs> either have listened or read it or they don't care. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I don't mind. Or you can stop the podcast right now, go and read the book, and then come back and finish listening. So or don't, you know, or don't. But save I, yourself some time. You know, but I will. I will have to say, and I'll go into this later on. But it's it is definitely worth a read, especially if you've never read a detective novel. I think there are better. Oh, ones there are. Choose. But it's it's it has a place in history. Sure. So it's unique. It is Let, very, okay, I'll oh, say yeah. this. I'll say this. It what makes it interesting is is the use of the to, the cartoons yes. in it. Mm-hmm. If it was not for the cartoons, it would not have been as good. Oh no, definitely. Definitely. I think just for that value and in reading it 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 it's such a novel. Co- I mean, it's not a novel concept in the sense that it's already been. We most of us who saw the movie have seen the idea, but it's even in reading it for the first time. I have to admit, it was there was a lot of. It was almost like being a novel concept to me again, because what happened in the novel is different enough to no, I, where yeah, I like to where the, imagination yeah, and and even the fact that they're bringing up old school characters and things like that uh old cartoons that it took me away from the movie enough that the only things that for me carried over were was roger's voice and uh eddie's voice other than that everything else and maybe i mean i guess jessica rabbit too to some degree but for the most part everything else is so different sure i i listened to the book on audible Mm, okay and i i don't know why i chose to do that route except maybe <laughs> i maybe i tried the sample and i liked the way it sounded okay and i i like to listen to things as i'm driving because mm-hmm. i love to read but I, I started slowly getting into audible lately but so i i listened to it with his voices on the audible oh, okay and the voice he did for roger 
sounded just like James Stewart. Really? <laughs> yes. That's funny. So it's like you, you gotta help me. I I I I, I like that. Which is funny because he in the novel the character talks about being. Oh, he talks about wasn't it? He was in the or or someone was in the 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 Broadway version of Harvey. Oh yes, yeah. yes. It's just funny because he would talk. He'd just be like, Jessica, oh, I love you. It's like. This is weird. <laughs> who was he? Do you know who remember who the he was, I don't know. He wasn't anybody named. He was oh, okay. he's done a lot on Audible though. Okay. That's I think funny. it was an Audible original, but yeah. And and of course, you know, Eddie Valiant, the private detective, mm-hmm. just sounded like every other private detective ever. You're like, she walked into my room and I you know like, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. But okay, let's get into it. Cool. So Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Yes. It's a fantasy mystery, I would say like noir book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was written by Gary K. Wolf in 1981. What's funny is actually, apparently, and this happens a lot in Hollywood, I think they just have teams of people who are out there looking for new stuff coming out, and they just buy the film rights right away. Oh, That's yeah. apparently That's... what happened with this one is they, okay. they bounced on the film rights as soon as the book came out. But do you want to give the plot, or do you want me to give the plot? Of the book? Yes. If you want to do the book, I'll do the movie. Okay. So the plot essentially... I'll correct you if you're wrong. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, because there's some parts I read a while ago. All right. so, so Eddie Valiant. Eddie Valiant. It it for those who have seen the movie, it doesn't really begin the same way completely. There are some scenes that are similar. So we should just say right now that they're almost entirely different, except for yeah. some of the major characters. Yeah. And so in this one, he he's hired by Roger Rabbit to investigate his. His, not it wasn't really his wife in the beginning. It was more his contract with the Degreasy the brothers. Degreasy brothers, and so that's one of the big differences is the Degreasy brothers, Dominic and Russo. Sure, yeah, I can't think of the other guy's name at the top of my head. Uh, they, they, it, oh, so that's another big difference is that in the cart in the animated or the actually no, it's not the live action version, the mo- the Disney version. They're cartoon characters and animated features. In this one, in the book, they're actually comic strip stars. And so they're they're hired to take pictures of them because when they speak, word balloons pop up above their heads. Yes, yeah, so yeah, in the book they're they're comic strip stars, you said. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, that was the one thing that had, I had a hard time grasping at first was the whole Well when you're word used to balloon. the movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah. Sure. We'll give a very, very brief. Yeah. Well, I'll give a very brief plot synopsis, and then you and I will both handle because I think this is one of the ones we have to actually get into the plot a little bit. Yes. To explain how different it is, mm-hmm. but I'll give a very, very brief one. Okay, go ahead. So, in this world, it's supposed to be modern times when the book was written, and Eddie Valiant is a private detective who is hired on by Roger Rabbit, who you said is a is a cartoon comic strip. Like he's like a secondary star. Like yes. he has never really gotten his 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 big uh, shot. And this is where it's the same as in the in the movie. It's Baby Herman. Kind of. I always thought Roger was like a big name though in the movie. Oh no no, no but that he's second. Yeah, technically he, yeah, yes. He's, he's, like, he's the like foil him a bit, to Baby Herman. Yes. And so what happens is he is hired by Roger Rabbit to figure out why he is not getting these better roles um, by the people who employ them. And he goes and he meets the woman who's the photographer, 
who takes all the the pictures and he meets Carol. Yeah. Yeah, and he meets Roger's wife who's left him at the time mm-hmm. to go be with his boss whose name is Jessica and she looks like a normal human but she's like a humanized cartoon. Yes. And And so what ends up happening very brief again is it has to do with art forgery and it has to do with murder. <laughs> Roger is murdered. Yeah. But in this world, it's a little confusing. They mm-hmm. have doppelgangers. And so... The tunes are able to conjure them with their minds. Yeah, I guess they yeah. focus super hard and they can create a copy of themselves that mm-hmm. only lasts for a short while. And and so like Jessica Rabbit, when she does like big stunts for things, she creates a doppelganger that will do the stunt for her so that she doesn't get hurt. Because in this world, the tunes can actually die. Yes. And so that's what happens. Roger gets murdered. And so the rest of the book is Eddie Valiant, who comes across Roger Rabbit's doppelganger, who was created right before the murder. Mm -hmm. And they work together to try to figure out who killed Roger Rabbit. Or censored in this case. Yes. (laughs) And so... And framed him, too. It got really convoluted, I I have to say. It did. And I did not... That's why for the ending... I was. I felt Surprising. a little lackluster. It was. Do you want to just give it away now? Do you want to just say what it was? No, we can wait. We can wait okay. till we get there because okay. there's a lot of things to, to talk about. And so I, I felt like it was very. Yeah. I thought that was the best part of the book. Was yeah. the first maybe what two thirds? Before he died, or no? Uh, oh, the first two thirds. First two thirds. Yeah. But by the time no, we... the last third, it kind of dragged. It did. It did. And then the ending. I it, felt like it the ending. Right. It just felt like he just had to end it. He's like. Well, I guess I'm just going to end this now, and this is how I'm going to do it. And I, sometimes I wonder if... if it, now, this is where I don't know his writing process, mm-hmm. but I've come across a handful of books where it's amazing up until the first... For the first two I found a lot of... Some of the Stephen King books are like that. You know, I've never read Stephen King. Yeah, I've especially his newer books. I haven't read a ton, mm-hmm. but some of his some of his later books were really good up until like the last 20 pages, and then it, I just felt like he didn't know... How what to else finish to do? it. So he just, yeah. I feel like half the time he just turns it into aliens at the end. And I always feel like that was a cop out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in this one, I, I will say one thing I did like about this one generally is it felt like the Maltese Falcon. Yes. And that's, yeah. that's even though I've never read it or seen it. Have you seen it? No. Okay. But I, I read, okay. I know I'm, I'm, that's like I'm the, reading this that vicariously. That is the staple. So. Of... I recently listened to a podcast on the Maltese Falcon, Jeez. which made me want to read it. And you watch the movie. Watch the okay. movie. I've read the book and I've watched the movie. And we should do a, a podcast. On we will adaptation. at some point. Mm-hmm. At some point, we will. And we won't go into detail on that one, except that the main thing in that one is they're trying to get a statue called the Maltese Falcon. Yes, and it's the big um, MacGuffin. Yes, I was going to say the Alfred Hitchcock word MacGuffin. So it has. It's not really important to the plot, but mm-hmm. it's important in that everybody wants it essentially. Yeah. And so that's the same thing that happens in this one. <laughs> it ends up being like a tea kettle that everybody wants, and you don't know why. Yeah. Until the very end, and then do you want me to say what it was? Go ahead. Okay. So at the very end, and I hated this. <laughs> at the very end, you find out it's like a genie's lamp essentially. Yeah. And so you find out all the actions that were taking place that were confusing up till then were actually because there was a genie kind of. Granting wishes. Granting wishes and killing people, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking, okay, 
I don't think we needed to go there. <laughs> it was a weird twist fusion of magic into the world. Yeah. And you went from, okay, there's tunes in this world, there's humans, and yeah. then all of a sudden there's magic. Well, and you know, it was weird because the book had very adult themes. Yeah. Like at one point he inter- he like interrogates a guy who is like a secret like cross-dresser and like mm-hmm. dresses up as like a girl and 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 so like there's a lot of things like that in the book that I was like okay this is not meant for children yeah no it it definitely is not yeah yeah or even Jessica's past life yes like there's a bit about how Jessica may or may not have been seduced into doing like pornographic images yes um that was a big part of it yeah so I guess in the book you find out that she only married him because. Roger unintentionally wished Just that she would. Like mm-hmm. Roger didn't know that there was a genie in yeah. the kettle that he had, and and he like subconsciously wished that he was that she would love him, and yeah. so she did. And oh, jeez, yeah. And and I I did think the way they introduced the kettle though was kind of cool uh, in the beginning before you find out it's a well. Genius. It definitely makes you wonder what's going to happen. Like, why yes. is the kettle important? I was thinking it would be more in line with the Maltese Falcon, where it's mm. it's like a priceless thing that is going to make everybody rich. Or, well, in a way, it kind of was. I mean, I guess. So it did it helped with yeah. the Greasy Brothers? Yeah, because it's weird. Because I guess the, the, technically, because Roger got it from the Degreasy Brothers, who mm-hmm. were Roger's boss bosses. But I guess the Degreasy Brothers were cartoons, but then they wished to be human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so it was weird because like the spell or whatever was wearing off, so they were mm-hmm. turning back into cartoons. Because the genie would make the spell last only temporarily. Well, it was like revenge. a genie wish where like you get what you want, but you also yeah, don't, and you get he was, screwed over. And he wasn't happy that he was stuck inside the tea kettle. Sure. So, but no, I also like the point like in the beginning, especially as as you're reading the book, is the pointing out of like, oh, well, Bugs Bunny got this role, and then yes. he got this, you know, then... They were almost like throwaway lines. Yeah. But... <laughs> and so the the kettle, when Roger got it, was a prop used in a remake of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So I thought... Which I thought was funny, because cool. didn't he play like a dog or something? He played the beagle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how he his performance was so good. The book was bizarre. That's all. It was. It was. And, and, and the, I, one thing I, the one thing I liked about it was that... So it really felt like a noir. Yes. And it really felt like I was watching like Humphrey Bogart mm-hmm. in something. And I kept expecting um, like, like it had all the elements. It had the femme fatale. It had the private detective. It, it had the police that didn't like the private detective mm-hmm. and all so that. So that's one of the positives I would say about this author is that he stuck to his style and structure. I feel like he stuck to his genre until the end. Until the end, yeah. The ending is when fantasy. It, it really tripped up itself. But... Yeah. The most of the book he he did well yeah yeah i mean it was enjoyable it's yeah, not it a was. long read it's no. short mm-hmm. um my thing i couldn't get around is i kept thinking it was supposed to be the 40s and a part of that's because of watching who framed roger rabbit the movie oh, okay but i feel like most people think of noir they think of the 1940s or 50s yeah because that's when they were big mm-hmm. and even modern day film noirs tend to be set back then yeah like there are some that are more modern, obviously, but I feel like almost all of them are from that time period, mm-hmm. and so it was really difficult because I would come across something it would talk about, um, like a very modern cartoon, or it would talk about modern day things, and I was so confused. I'm like, wait, what time period is this? Mm. Yeah, because okay. when they did introduce a lot of the older cartoons, they were kind of 
making money off of their past is what it made it sound like. Yeah, so confusion. <laughs> so do you want to say like the ultimate ending? Do you, do you want me to read it for you? <laughs> Go ahead. So I'm just going to read this straight from Wikipedia because it's the only way I can wrap my brain around this. <laughs> so with Roger's murderer disposed of, Valiant concludes the degreasy murderer was the original Roger Rabbit himself. Roger's motive was that Rocco had stolen Jessica from him and he generated the doppelganger to be an alibi. He intended to plant the murder weapon at Valiant's office, making him the fall guy, but was shot by the genie when he accidentally summoned it. The doppelganger confirms the truth and confesses that he had it planned for days. However, for clearing his name and befriending him despite what he did and tried to do afterwards, he praises Valiant for his morals, calling him a real stand-up guy. Roger gives Valiant a final heartfelt goodbye before disintegrating. Yeah. That was one thing I have to admit is they he throughout the whole novel there was rarely a hint and I don't know if that's a plus or, or a bad thing but a rarely a hint that Roger was capable cuz every time they talked to someone it was either he's not smart enough or he's a rabbit you know and they're not capable of going that far or he's a good guy and there's no way he could have done that mm-hmm. and so I'm not going to lie that, I mean, the surprise, the ending was a surprise in general, just there being a genie. Sure. But I think even for more so for me. I kind of thought it was going to be Roger in the end. Did you? A little bit. Just because it was all over the place. Oh, okay. It almost felt too easy to be Roger. Yeah. And so I kept on waiting for the other shoe to drop or whatnot. Right. Like, I didn't want it to be Roger. Yeah. Especially because it felt like it didn't make sense the way that Roger was helping Valiant. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it it was weird. It was. Yeah. Yeah, I can't say I was fully satisfied with the ending. No. <laughs> so I think you touched upon it, so we'll talk about it very briefly. In the book, mm-hmm. the cartoons don't... Most of them don't talk. It seemed like... I think there were some that were made for movies who could talk outright. Mm-hmm. It seemed like, but most cartoons don't actually talk like we do. They have word bubbles like you see in cartoon strips. Yes. And so when they would quote-unquote talk, a word bubble would just pop into the air. So like if they were talking really fast, it'd just be like a bunch of word bubbles flying into the air. Yeah. And so like Valiant would have to grab them to try to read them. And so it was comical, but it was also very bizarre. It was. And then like the tunes kind of in the, in the movie, they were able to... Like if they were saying something kind of cold, the the word bubble would become all frost frosty and and icy, mm-hmm. and or they might have little characters or little animals. Uh, like I remember the cat. There was one cat where Jessica has a a Felix looking like cat, and it conjures up thoughts of mice, so it could chase around. So there was there it it did have those aspects too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Like, it was definitely very imaginative. Mm-hmm. I, I can definitely I see how it would become fodder for a movie. Yeah. I can see how, like, a company like Disney or whoever would say, we need to make this into something. Yeah. I mean, it was a novel idea. Uh, <laughs> definitely. I didn't mean that. In, mm. <laughs> pun not intended. But yeah. it was... Um, I just felt like it... There didn't seem to be a lot of continuity in the book. It seemed like they just bounced around a lot. It's like, well, I'm going to go see this person. I'm going to see this person. I'm going to see this person. Which might be accurate to actual private detectives. Yeah. 
but when you're reading it you're kind of like okay i'm i'm kind of tired of that let's move on <laughs> i i think because i've i don't know i felt like it, it did harken to a lot of the detective stuff i've read and listened to and watched i mean it's not you know even murder she wrote about you know <laughs> jessica pletcher it goes from place to place to place yeah i don't know i guess i didn't like that we didn't really get to know who eddie valiant was mm, okay the whole time you're reading it He's just a convenient plot device to figure out what's happening. Yeah. Because he's a private detective. But you never get to know who he is or how he feels about things for the most part. Like, he has all the normal quips that a private detective has Mm -hmm. and things like that. But you never really get to know who he is. So, I I haven't read a lot, like I said before, of the old mystery detectives, mystery novels. But isn't that a kind of a a point of those novels? I think it just depends. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've read some of them. I've read some from the 50s. Um, There's one I can remember called You Can Die Laughing, Mm -hmm. which I think is supposed to be like in a series of books from the same detective. Interesting. Um, But even then, like he felt more rounded. Okay. Like you don't get, you never really get to know everything about them. Yes. Because I feel like that's a very modern thing. It is. It's very modern to be fully fleshed out and to have a complete backstory for your character, your main characters. Oh yeah, no. Then and and like, there's a series I'm reading right now where it's an ongoing series, but the author uses his background as fodder, psychological fodder, to forward parts of the plot. Sure. And I felt like I think back, at least from what I've experienced from the older movies, he was just uh, hard boiled and grizzled and jaded with society but he needed to earn a living and so they he solved he he took up cases for people i do i will say not to begin on the movie version but yeah disney oh we're gonna talk a, a lot about the movie yeah disney did a better version with eddie valiant oh i'll say straight straight up right now i prefer the movie version yeah i i no 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 competition <laughs> i don't know there's kind of i'm just kidding i will say something interesting about the the book. First of all, I would love to meet Gary K. Wolf, just because he seems like a very interesting person. <laughs> in that he's so easygoing, apparently. Hmm, interesting. He's written multiple books in this series. Yeah, I think there's four total. Yes, and um, I'll, I'll say straight up. First of all, if you look at the cover, because you have the same cover, mm-hmm. that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read he's on, on the, his own cover. I love that he's on all of his covers. Mm-hmm. But what is funny is he loved the movie version so much that he, when he wrote his second book, he retconned everything from his first book. Yeah, I read. Yeah, and I he made it more like well. the movie. And in fact, I, yeah, that it was. I guess it ended up being just a dream or something. Yeah, like the they, first talk, book. they talk about how Jessica Rabbit dreamt of it or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the only real carryovers from the book to the movie are Eddie Valiant, Roger Rabbit, Jessica Rabbit, and mm. then we didn't talk about Baby Herman very much, but Baby Herman is like the main actor, cartoon actor in the comic strip. Yeah. And his whole thing is he's a baby, but he's been alive for like 50 years or something. And yeah. so he acts like a, an adult mm-hmm. in that he's like, you know, super into girls and he smokes and and all that and drinks <laughs> yes and so he's actually a, a, almost directly carried over into who framed roger Rabbit. yeah it, he even has one of the same lines mm-hmm. which i won't repeat but 
I know it like But even, that. Rod, even Jessica Rabbit, like, she has one line that carries over. It's, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way. And it's... I didn't know that was in the book. I just thought that oh. would be in the movie only. Yeah, no, yeah. And so it was... It's interesting because one, in one version she's lying and in the other version she's not. Mm-hmm. Well, because she's a... In the book, she's a total femme fatale. Yeah. Like, she's just out for herself. Mm-hmm. Like, she will use her sexiness to get what she needs and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I mean, we'll talk a little bit more about the book when we talk about the movie. Okay. Do you want to just move on to the movie? Yeah. Or? Okay. So. Oh. What? I, I do want to bring out one last point about the book is okay. is that in the book, he does bring up class and segregation. Yes. yes I forgot about that. As a I was going to say that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely had undertones of like racial segregation mm-hmm. and and things like that it was talking about like the neighborhood it used to be a nice neighborhood and then all the cartoons moved in and and how the when the first tune who moved in even though he was human looking right they protested and then they and, had like fight in court or something mm-hmm. like that yeah so and then there's and yeah i, I think in how tune neighborhoods where tunes live are higher in crime stuff like right that. it definitely felt like cartoons i felt like he could have leaned into it more mm-hmm. but it definitely felt like in the book the cartoons were like a metaphor for like like any minority group really yeah i would yeah. i would automatically think you know like african-american but it could have been any minority group really yeah and it, like because they even had their own police force there was the yep. tune force versus the and they even said that a tune mm-hmm. lieutenant or captain has to defer to a human officer well yeah and then but in, in the book they even mention a few times not outright but they they talk about how if the cartoon looks more human-like, mm-hmm. then they're more respected. Yeah. Whereas if they look just pure cartoon, then they're not respected. Yep. Yeah. Or even I even like the fact that the football players had a. They started. Oh, they talk the about N- they had like a cartoon gorilla. The NFL had a had a. I think it was the Rams. Yeah. yeah. A cartoon so female gor- yes. gorilla to top so it off. So random though. I know. <laughs> so, Fun. but yeah, that was. I think that's the last thing for the book, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have other things to mention, yeah. but we have to talk about the movie first. Mm-hmm. So the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a 1988 um, fantasy comedy. It was directed by Robert Zemeckis, and it was written from a screenplay by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman. And it is very loosely based on the novel Who Censored Roger Rabbit. It stars Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, Stubby Kay, and Joanna Cassidy with the voices of Charles Fleischer and Kathleen Turner. And for, I guess, odd, younger audience, they don't really know most of those names, but those were, some of them are really big names. And it combines live action and animation, which isn't new. That happened a lot in Hollywood's past, but this is probably one of the best examples of mixed live action with animation. I would say the movie holds up well too. So it has up. not dated itself at all. No. It is the quality is outstanding. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, it's supposed to be set in an alternate, an alternate history Hollywood in 1947, where humans and the cartoon characters coexist. And the plot follows Eddie Valiant, a private investigator with a prejudice against tunes, who must help exonerate Roger Rabbit. A tune framed for murder. Yes. (laughs) So the movie did amazingly well. It was budgeted at 
50.6 million but originally i guess michael eisner and the disney company only wanted to give them i think like 30 million and they kept oh, wow. going over budget yeah and and at one there were a couple times where they almost pulled the film like they said you're not going to make it anymore you're over budget oh wow and then they had a fight to get it to keep it mm-hmm. but it's good it did because at the box office it made 351.5 million dang yeah it did phenomenally but it also had Steven Spielberg on board to help. Okay. So that that helps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The film ended up going on to win, I believe, three Academy Awards um, for the Oscars. It won Best Sound Effects Editing, Best Visual Effects, and Best Film Editing. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And when you watch the movie, I'm sure you see why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about. I, I'm going to give a brief... <laughs> synopsis because again it's very different yeah so i'm just gonna try to summarize this real quick so in the film version the tunes it seems like the tunes can live in the real world but they have their own special place called toontown and it's meant really just for tunes and you can go visit it but that's kind of a little bit of that segregation you were talking about mm-hmm and the film is about Eddie Valiant, who's a private detective, and he is commissioned by R.K. Maroon of Maroon Cartoons to go and figure out um, what's going on with Roger Rabbit, because he's upset, his acting's not up to par, and he finds uh, he says that his wife, Roger Rabbit, has been messing around. So he goes, he meets his wife, Jessica, Jessica Rabbit. Rabbit. Yes. Yeah. So Eddie Valiant goes to a nightclub where he sees Jessica Rabbit singing at the nightclub, which is a little different from the book. Yeah. And he takes pictures of her with this man named Marvin Acme, who runs Acme Studios, or Mm. Factory, Uh, the Acme Factory. factory. It's like gags and... Stuff you see in, like, all the Bugs Bunny cartoons and stuff like that. So, um, what ends up happening is they, they show the pictures to Roger Rabbit, who goes crazy, and the next day, Mr. Acme is found dead. Mm-hmm. And they all think it was Roger because they have some evidence pinning him there. And so Eddie goes home and he finds Roger in his home. And through one means or another, he ends up getting caught up in in, in helping Roger exonerate himself. But not before he runs into Judge Doom, who's a new character for the film, mm-hmm. amongst many others. But... Judge Doom ends up being the main antagonist of the film with his troop of weasels who are cartoons. Judge Doom in the movie, for all intents and purposes, is human. And I'm just going to blow it now. <laughs> At the end of the film, you find out Spoiler. that Judge Doom, spoilers, is actually a tune. Yeah. Which actually was a great twist, mm-hmm. I thought. Um, but I mean, we'll talk about it. <laughs> but Judge Doom is trying... They so I'll, I'm sorry I'll backtrack I'm just getting excited, so he runs into Judge Doom who's basically trying to clean up the city mm-hmm. and he doesn't like tunes and he's found a way to kill tunes by the means of this thing called dip. Mm-hmm. Fun yeah. fact: all the stuff in dip, like benzene and all that stuff, yeah. is all like paint thinners and things. Oh, oh, that you would use if you were animating. Oh, okay, that makes yeah, sense. Right? I like that. It was mm-hmm. cool. It was clever. Um. So there's this idea that if he doesn't exonerate Roger, that Roger's going to be killed, essentially. And so he's going, and he has a a female friend who works at the bar who helps him out. 
and um, you find out that Roger didn't do it and um, of course you know Jessica is a little bit of a femme fatale on this as well and I am just rambling now <laughs> but <laughs> anyways you find out that um, the whole bit with Marvin Acme was was set up by um, RK Maroon yeah and you find out in the end of the film that there was this whole underground CD business where um, the red car trolley that used to run in LA and Hollywood um, was in the film is bought by a company called Cloverleaf, mm-hmm. who you find out is actually run by Judge Doom. Yeah. And the idea is that he's going to plow through Toontown and he's going to destroy all tunes so that he can set up a freeway. Which is a novel idea on the, at this point. Right. Those freeways didn't exist yet. No, no, definitely not. But obviously, in the end, Eddie Valiant overcomes his prejudice. Um, and the re- I guess you, I should say... In the, the reason for In the film, you find out that the reason why he's prejudiced against tunes is because his brother was killed by a tune. Yeah. And so you find out in the end, his brother was actually killed by, the, by Judge Doom. Mm-hmm. And so it's a happy ending. Everybody gets what gets what they wanted and Toontown's saved and Eddie Valiant gets the girl again and Roger ends up with Jessica still. And mm-hmm. It's a happy. It's a good ending. It's fun. It is. Yeah, it is. It's great music. It's Alan Silvestri. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I will say um, I love the movie. <laughs> yes, I, I can tell. <laughs> There's a lot. There's really so much about the movie. Like it's easy to talk. It's hard to talk about the plot of the book because it's all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's hard to talk about the movie because it's so good. Like, there's just so much to talk about. Mm. You know what I mean? What do you think? <laughs> I, I'm just curious to see why. I mean, I love the movie, and I, I would it's one I would definitely watch if it's on or someone wants to watch it. But I'm really curious to see as to um, your where your what where your admiration what in the movie it lies for or where your admiration lies for the movie i should say so we'll just we'll just start what so you like it a lot i can tell i'm curious oh, yeah. as to why well i mean i'm not going to lie i'm i like it in part because in the film it's set in the late 1940s and that's just fun yeah like it's it's, it's like the golden age of Hollywood. It's the golden age of animation. Mm-hmm. It's it's just fun. Um, I like it because it's just really it's clever. Mm-hmm. It, it's I agree. The characters are great, and what they had to do to make that film. I mean, the fact in the movie that they used Disney cartoons and Warner Brother cartoons. Yes, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> like that was that was so difficult to do. Mm-hmm. I can imagine how much it must have cost. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There were over 40 drafts of the script originally, including drafts that had either Jessica Rabbit or Baby Herman as the villain. Oh, wow. So it goes, they really were all over the place with this one. Yeah. And I I think they really didn't care if they were accurate to the book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is one of the things that I really liked about the movie. I'm going to read this from the trivia okay during production one of the biggest challenges faced by the makers of the film was how to get the cartoon characters to realistically interact with real on-set props 
This was ultimately accomplished in two different ways. Certain props, such as Baby Herman's cigar or the plates Roger smashes over his head, were moved on set via motion control machines, little robots that were hooked up to an operator who would move the objects in exactly the desired manner. Hmm. And then, in post-production, the character was simply drawn over the machine. Interesting. Yes. If you look, if you watch the behind the scenes for this movie, mm-hmm. it is crazy the amount of things they had to do to make this movie. Wow. Yeah. The other way of doing it was by using puppeteers. And this is most clearly seen in the scene in the Ink and Paint Club that Eddie Valiant goes to see Jessica Rabbit sing. Mm-hmm. The glasses held by the octopus bartender were, in fact, being controlled by puppeteers from above. While the trays carried by the penguin waiters were on sticks being controlled from below. Huh. The wires and the sticks were simply removed in post-production and the characters were added in over. Wow. Yes. Um, and so for this movie, the animation director, Richard Williams, he set out to break three rules mm-hmm. that were previously conventions i guess for combining live action and animation because th- th- there had been a lot of movies that had done it disney started doing that they did little alice in wonderland cartoons back mm-hmm. in the 20s that were both live action and animation and yeah they've done it a bunch they had pete's dragon and a, a bunch of different ones and other companies had done it too but i guess the general convention mary poppins right mm-hmm. the three conventions that they broke in this movie is first um move the camera as much as possible so the tunes don't look pasted onto flat backgrounds. Second, use lighting and shadows to an extreme that was never before attempted. Hmm. And third, have the tunes interact with real-world objects and people as much as possible. Interesting. Right. Because when you, yeah, if I think back to Mary Poppins right now, just the first one that pops in my head, they don't really do that. The, the tunes are very much tunes, and even the interactions are kept at a minimum. Right. When you think about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it's it's just crazy what they did. Well, that explains why it costs so much. And yeah. So the other thing I stumbled on is they they furthered the illusion of the cartoons in the film, like feeling so real, mm-hmm. even though they're two D style animation. Is they came up with the idea that to make the cartoon characters quote. 2.5 dimensional huh that's weird yeah so rather than fully 3d <laughs> they're hand drawn to look like classic two-dimensional cartoons of the 30s and 40s but then they used um electric light magic mm-hmm. to they used them or is it ilm yes industrial light and magic yeah that's what i mean thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> so then they went in with them and they gave shadows and layers and texture to make them look as though they had depth Interesting. Yeah. They describe it as old stuff inserted into new stuff using new technologies <laughs> and or techniques. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason why Roger Rabbit still stands apart from CGI movies today. Oh, wow. Yeah, Because you watch it and you know it's 2D, but yeah. it looks like rounded. It, mm-hmm. look, it looks real. Oh, yeah. No, it does. Mm-hmm. It's That's why it still holds up in the right. day of CGI and still looks good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and then there's just so many Easter eggs. They used so many cartoons, old cartoons, and that was that for me. That was yeah. one of the big things. The I Betty Boop part's my favorite mm-hmm. one. That was a good one. It's like work's been hard since cartoons went to color. <laughs> yeah, or Puff the Dragon. Oh yeah, there's no, there's so no. It was the Reluctant Dragon. The Reluctant Dragon. You're right. That's what it was. Yes. 
Not the drug-addled one. No. <laughs> yes, wrong one. <laughs> no. So there were 326 animators who worked full-time on the film. It took, in total, 82,080 frames of animation that were drawn, including storyboards and concept art. The animation director, Richard Williams, estimates that well over 1 million drawings were done for the movie. Wow. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the production, I guess there was disagreements over the way that the Looney Tunes characters should look. Okay. Warner Brothers wanted the filmmakers to use the characters as they appeared in their ma- merchandising at the time in the 80s. Mm. While the producers insisted on having the characters looking the way they had looked in the time period when the film was set, the late 1940s. And so they did... <laughs> I, this is so funny. It's, I guess, it gets political. <laughs> but they, they, they had dummy footage using the modern designs that yeah. were sent to Warner Brothers for approval. But the animators used the period-appropriate designs in the film. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. But there was also a lot of, because of that, they, yeah. Warner Brothers and Disney, like neither of them wanted any of the other characters to get better screen time. Mm-hmm. Like, like the minor characters, they didn't care. But the main characters, yeah. like Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse and Donald, mm-hmm. like they want, they, they agreed they would oh, only get the that same exact those scenes. Yes. Okay. They agreed they would only get the same amount of screen time together. Wow, that's interesting. That's why they have the piano duel mm-hmm. with Donald and Daffy. And then that's why they the um, Eddie meets Mickey Mouse and Roger Rabbit at the same time. Uh, or Bugs Bunny. That's what I mean, sorry. Yeah. What did I say? Roger Rabbit. See, I'm getting I'm getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I was talking about how they did like the puppeteering and mm-hmm. stuff. One of the funny parts, you remember in the movie when Eddie leaves um, Maroon Cartoons and he sees like all the, the different cartoons out for auditions and stuff? Yeah, like Dumbo. And- yes. Mm-hmm. So the gag of the toon pelican falling off his bicycle, it came out by accident. Originally, the pelican would have ridden straight past the camera, but the effects technicians were unable to keep the bike upright. Oh. So the filmmakers decided to let the bicycle fall, and they animated the pelican losing his balance. That's funny. Yeah. Because it was just a bicycle by yeah. itself. <laughs> That's well done. Well yeah. inventive. Yeah. So you see, they just they just really they cared, you know. They, yeah. they, they made it work, you know. So every... I'm sorry, I did a lot of research for this. Every frame of the movie that featured a mixture of animation and live action had to be printed up as a still photograph. An animator would then draw the particular illustration for that frame on tracing paper set on top of the photo. The outline drawing then had to be hand-colored. Once that was done, the drawing had to be composited back into the original frame using an optical printer. Wow. Yeah. What's an optical printer? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I know what a 3D printer is, but maybe it's a predecessor? Well, m- mind you, they're making this movie in like 87, 80s. 88. Yeah. So very different. Yeah. I think that's when we were using dot matrix in school. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was actually. No, it, it's cool to see the, the like hearing all that. I do Now I want to go back and watch a making of video. Did you find you one should. on YouTube? Uh, there's a lot of them on YouTube. Okay. Um, you can go watch, um, there's on Disney Plus, it's the whole program about props in movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's so entertaining. They have one for Tron. Oh, okay. And um, Nightmare Before Christmas and a couple different ones. But the Roger Rabbit one is crazy. I'll have to go back up yeah. and find that. Well, first I need a subscription, but then I'll watch you it. You can watch it with me. Okay. <laughs> okay, so 
it's, there's just so much to talk about. I don't even know. <laughs> so let's talk about Judge Doom real quick. Okay. So the main antagonist of the film, played mm-hmm. by Christopher Lloyd. Doc Brown himself, yes. Yes. Apparently they wanted to get Tim Curry to play him, but he was too scary when oh, he tried. I could see that. Yes. They went through a lot of people, though, for Eddie Valiant, and one of them was Harrison Ford. I read that somewhere. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And he just wasn't able to... I think they, he wanted too much money or something. Okay. Yeah. But So we mentioned how in the film you find out at the very end that Judge Doom is actually a, a tune. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of knew some of this before, but when I was reading it, I was like, you're right. So there's no, there's numerous clues in the movie to the fact that Judge Doom is an actual tune. Despite the dip being harmless to mm-hmm. live-action humans, Doom always wears gloves when he's demonstrating it. Yeah. And he backs away when it spills. When it was spilled. Mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. His waxy skin and his fake Adam's apple and his oversized teeth. That's number two. <laughs> he does have oversized teeth. They look very fake. Mm-hmm. If you look. I don't think I've ever paid attention. Yeah, this is, this is a fun one. His cloak is always blowing with a slight breeze, even when indoors. <laughs> I never saw it. I never picked up on that one. He has stiff, exaggerated movements that resemble of a tune. Mm-hmm. Um, he gets around in a quick tune sort of way. Uh, he wears his clothes well with no exposed skin showing around his body. And the fact that he jumped out of the way, and I said when the dip was tipped over. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was not in any pain after being shot by the gun Jessica had in Toontown after being able to get away uh, unharmed. Oh. I don't remember. Remember, there's the near the climax of the movie, Eddie has to go into Toontown to figure out like what's happening. And um, he encounters Jessica Rabbit, but behind him is Judge Doom. And I do. I don't, to I, save him, she shoots, she shoots Judge Doom. Yeah, I remember that. But it doesn't do anything to him. I didn't. I don't think I've ever connected that that he got hit. I just assumed he got missed. He missed or something. I have information that I I like triple checked. Okay. Because it it almost didn't seem real, but I have information as to how they got the plot of this film. Mm-hmm. But do you want to talk about it now, or do you want to talk about it later? No, go ahead. Okay, because it's interesting. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Chinatown? With Jack Nicholson. So uh, it's on my list to watch, and I'm very familiar with it because a show I really, really enjoy did a kind of parody of it. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I know it has to do with water rights in LA. I mean, anyway, go ahead. What, what's the is that? So that's where they pulled it from. So, so okay, Chinatown was a film in the 70s. Yes, with Jack Nicholson, and it was huge. It did very well, and it was a noir. Yeah. So it was set during that time. Mm-hmm. And I think it was supposed to be the 30s in in Chinatown. I have to double check. But it had to do with everything with with Los Angeles. And, and that one specifically had to do with, like, how Los Angeles got its water. The water rights, yeah. Yes. Like, That's how I came across it. I was yes, researching yes. LA water right issues. It's a very good movie. And it's slow, but it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, when... So, I guess it, it came out in 1974. It was a neo-noir and it was directed by Roman Polanski. And it was supposed to have two sequels. Um, and the second one was actually made. And it was called The Two Jakes. And Jack Nicholson directed that one. And it did not do well. Okay. I've actually heard of that movie. Yeah, I've heard two things. Mm-hmm. It's, I think at one point, maybe the third one... Originally, let me say this. Originally... 
when they made the two Jakes, they were going to make another sequel called Giddies versus Giddies. And it was supposed to deal with Jack Nicholson's character's divorce from Mrs. Giddies and it had a subplot involving the suburban expansion of Los Angeles and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Dismantling the, the public transportation system and not to mention the monopoly expanding to the businesses built on the roadways to cash in on the driver's appetites, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And, but the other name that I came across, and I don't know if this is accurate or not, but originally before they made the two Jakes, Mm -hmm. the other name for the film was going to be Cloverleaf. Really? That's interesting if it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, I guess the writers for Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Mm -hmm. Price and Seaman, when they were brought on board to continue writing the script once Spielberg and Zemeckis were hired, Mm -hmm. for inspiration, they studied the work of Walt Disney and Warner Brothers cartoons from the golden age of animation. um, And they got the Cloverleaf streetcar subplot from the movie Chinatown. Oh. And from the sequel. Interesting. Yeah, because I guess the script was floating around, but it wasn't being made and mm-hmm. so they took the idea and then they incorporated it into who framed roger rabbit mm-hmm. yeah so they said it's fun because the the red car plot you know the suburban expansion um the political corruption it actually happened in reality in los angeles during the 1940s the car and tire companies had actually teamed up against the pacific electric railway system and they bought them out of business Interesting. And that and where the freeway runs in Los Angeles is where the red car used to be. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard my grandma used to ride my grandma did the red too. car. So I've heard about it. And I heard I've always heard that there was something behind its dis you know, that's going out of can't I don't know, going out of business or however they, they framed it. So so basically the movie does touch on in its own way real issues, just like the book did. Mm-hmm. In this case it was just the the red car that's that's actually honestly like, that, it, it did have a little bit of racial like a little metaphor bit. in it because like the ink and paint club was like humans only and it, like all the people who worked there were tunes mm-hmm. and, like similar to like the cotton club and things like that oh that's true yeah that actually actually makes it raises it higher in my uh, estimation knowing that it actually does kind of loosely touch on historical events mm-hmm. no it's, well we both like history so right <laughs> <laughs> that's actually really cool I'm not, now I'm going to have to watch Chinatown sooner rather than later maybe I'll even watch the two Jakes mm-hmm. well I, apparently it was not very good but <laughs> yeah but so yeah so it's funny because originally they wanted Robert Zemeckis mm-hmm. but Disney didn't want to use Robert Zemeckis because um, the last two movies that he had made were um, oh, were they bombs or something they, they did not do well yeah I thought I read that but they ended up saying you can have him mm-hmm. because um, they did Romancing the Stone, and that one oh, did very well. I remember that. I actually saw that. And then they did Back to the Future. Of course. And Back to the Future did crazy well. Yes, it did. <laughs> one of my favorites. It's funny, though, because um, in Back to the Future, Robert Zemeckis also used Alan Silvestri for music. For the music, yeah. And so when you listen to both soundtracks, they're different, but especially like in chase scenes and stuff, they sound a little similar. Now I'm going to have to go back and listen because I, I regularly listen to, well, every now and then I'll listen to the Back to the Future soundtrack mm-hmm. from the third movie when I feel like a Western or the the themes from the first and second. But that'll be interesting. I'll have to go back and, and listen to it because yeah. I like hearing John Williams' themes across place. Yes. And Howard Shore. 
Yeah, there's there's just a lot that the movie has going for it. Mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the crazy good scenes is when Eddie Valiant goes back to his apartment, office, whatever, mm-hmm. after he's told Roger Rabbit about what his wife's doing. Yeah. And he has this moment where he sits in his chair and he's looking at all these pictures that he's had developed and stuff. He's mm-hmm. looking back at when his life was happier, when his brother was alive yeah. and and all that. And he and he looks up and he's upset and the music's playing and he looks over across him at the empty desk that's all dusty mm-hmm. that used to be his brother's. Yeah. And there's this really long pan shot, like like no cuts, where it goes and just follows everything on the desk. And you see all these newspaper clippings of how Eddie and his brother used to like help out tunes mm-hmm. and and all the good things they used to do and how they actually came from like a family that was they were clowns in like wrangling brothers barnum and bailey that's right i forgot about that yeah. part yeah and so like you're just getting ideas of what his, his life used to be like and how different it used to be and that yeah and that's and now what he's disney, like a boozer you know that's what disney did better in the in this version yeah. but it's so fast and it's everything you need to know in that small like pan yeah. shot but in that pan shot when the time it gets back to him mm-hmm. he's asleep and it's the next day like they've changed the scene oh i don't remember that yeah, yeah. it's one shot that's cool yeah so it's stuff like that. Like it's just really good and cinematography. It, did win. it won for cinematography or was it? It, it was, uh... won, um, I think best editing, visual effects, and something else. I okay. I I I don't remember where I put that, but <laughs> yeah. No, it was a, it was a well done movie. That I agree. Mm-hmm. You know when he's writing um, in the little taxi, mm-hmm. they had like a little go kart for Benny. Yes. That's funny. It was in reality like an actual little like scaled down skeleton <laughs> of a go-kart. Huh. Yeah. And Did they show that on the making of? Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. They had, because he wasn't actually driving it. Yeah. They had a real driver, but he had to be like really hunched. And I think it was behind him, behind Bob Hoskins. That's, yeah. And they animated over him. Oh. So you don't see him. Okay. Yeah. That's well done. Yes. Like literally most of this movie is them animating over how they actually did it. And you know, if they did a, a sequel today, they would, they would try to do it all CGI. Well, see, they I read something about that. They said that it would never be the same yeah, because that's why they pushed the animators so hard. But everybody who worked on it mm-hmm. really enjoyed it, and yeah. everybody did their best. Like nobody cut corners. Yeah, and it was very difficult, obviously, because they it was all hand done. Like they used some computer stuff to enhance it, mm-hmm. but it was all hand done still, and nobody really does that anymore. Mm-hmm. But he was saying what they would probably do now is they would do the motion capture imaging. Okay. So like a golem from Lord of the Rings type yes. thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I I think I read somewhere too where it's, they don't want to do it because it would be the, just the price, the oh. cost of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would want to see a sequel. I don't anyway. want a sequel. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. if I would either. And all the actors are too old now or they're dead. And <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, one of the crazy things is the actor who played the voice of Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. for believability. Yeah. They he would always be on set. And he would do the voice on set. Oh. But he would also he insisted, he's so weird. He insisted on having a costume made for him that looked like Roger Rabbit. What? And so he was literally dressed like Roger Rabbit. He got into character. Yes, he did. But they would, would like, they would have like stand-ins. They would have stand-ins for all the cartoon characters, like mainly Roger. Yeah. 
And so anytime they needed to get eye levels and things, they would yeah. have like a foam Roger Rabbit that they would practice with first and then they would remove it. And then oh, they would do okay. it without it. <laughs> yeah. It was stuff like that. That's funny, yeah. Yeah. No, I would the... be freaked out if I saw a guy dressed like him. Yeah. Did he wear makeup too? I, I don't know. But it's... <laughs> Yeah, you should watch the behind the scenes. It's yeah, pretty, it's no, that, pretty, when I get a chance, I'll definitely watch it. The biggest, there's just so many differences. I don't even think we could cover them all. Probably not. Yeah. It's really its own story. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has. I feel like it stays true to the characters, the main characters that still are in it. Like yeah. I said, but what's up, Jessica? She's redeemed, I should say, in this because she's still kind of a femme fatale, a little bit. But she ends up being yeah, somewhat. Yeah, but she ends I guess. up being a good character. Yeah, yeah. In the movie, I mean, in the book, she's not. No, she's definitely all for herself in the book. Yeah. Whereas in this one, she. And I will say the characters in the books, the secondary characters, weren't as in, endearing in their ways. Mm-mm. Whereas at least I can't say the weasels were endearing, but like Benny and um, Dolores. But even the weasels are interesting. Like, yeah, they, at least they're, they're interesting. entertaining. And... Yeah. I think in the in the book, all most of the even like I, even Baby Herman was kind of just like eh. Mm-hmm. But I I love in the movie how I mean they're iconic and heck even the even the bouncer at the club the gorilla yes. guy I mean that you know how many seconds nice monkey suit <laughs> yes yeah did you ever catch did you catch the the password that he gives him I don't remember it so he says what's the password mm-hmm. and he says Walt sent me. Like Walt Disney? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was well done. Yes. It's just a good movie. No, it is. I agree. My, in fact, my daughter saw it for the first time ever. Really? Yeah, when we like watched it? it. She she said she liked it. And, yeah. you know, and, and and she doesn't lie about whether she likes things or not to me uh, when, when she's asked. And so I asked her, would you watch it again? She's like, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's... So. It's weird to watch the behind the scenes for it because you see it without the animation. Mm-hmm. And so you'll see like in scenes, like those are the big bar fight scene yeah. where like furniture goes flying and breaks and things. Mm-hmm. And you watch it where nothing is moving them. Like things are just moving because oh. like they're being pulled by wires and things. Yeah. And like chairs are collapsing and stuff, but mm-hmm. there's no animation yet. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. That's funny. Yeah. It's so cool. No, I think... Like all the characters definitely feel more fleshed out. They they definitely. feel more realistic. They they're more endearing. Mm-hmm. Like even Baby Herman in in the movie, like he's similar in that he's he does that that whole line about like you know like I'm I'm 50 years old, but I've got like uh, <laughs> it was like I got a 50 year old lust, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But you know like he says the same line, but like he cares about Roger mm-hmm. and like he says he'll pay Eddie to like look into saving him and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously, like he literally goes into Toontown. Yeah, Toontown doesn't exist in the book. No, They're Toontown just... doesn't. But they talk about little enclaves and stuff. Yeah, yeah. they they may, it, in fact it's. I remember even one mention about ancient Toon history. Mm-hmm. So that's the one part that did trip me up in the movie, is, in the book he he has some throwaway lines about that Toons have always been a part of. The world. Yeah, so in, in the book, you kind of get the idea that at least some of them, mm-hmm. 
you know, ne- it's never explained. Like no, it's in not. in neither version, it's never really explained how they come about. No. In the book, you have the impression that some of them have always been around, mm-hmm. but there are obviously some that look different and more modern. Yeah. But in the movie, you kind of get the idea. They never tell you outright, but you get the idea that they only exist when they're drawn for something. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's never explained, obviously. No, yeah. Like I've always, I always wondered how. I think maybe the the more scientific part of me has always wondered, what are the dimensions of Toontown? How big was it? Uh, could you see it if you're flying over it? Because like, because I mean, when he would talk about destroying it to make the freeway, right. in my mind, I'm thinking, well, is it like a you know, does it take up the space from? I don't know, East LA to Montebello. I mean, what is Toontown? Mm. That was just me overthinking as a kid though. After a while, I just learned to just ignore those questions and well, enjoy the movie for what the it was. According to the location shoot, it was right by Griffith Observatory. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I liked how it wasn't a genie. Let me say that. Okay. I yeah. liked that there was no genie. Yeah. I liked that that was eliminated. I liked that there was a whole like reality bit about like the the red car was being bought so it could be dismantled. Mm-hmm. And they were going to pave over Toontown. I think in the in the novel, the the author was really just trying to introduce a novel concept. Yeah, I think he was just having fun. He was, yeah. And I, Which and is I great. appreciate that in the movie, the writers utilized the same concept that had already been created by Gary Wolf and in turn like integrated Chinatown and, and that kind of influence into it. Well, I think where with Gary Wolf's novel, it was pretty much just the novel. It's he's taking the old school hard boiled noir detective novels and creating his piece of work. Uh, but the Disney writers were basically took his concept and made it better. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like they expanded it. Yes. Yes. I agree. I think it helps setting it in the forties. Because it really leans into that noir style and mm-hmm. that private detective style. Yeah. I think part of it, it just gives audiences what they want. Mm-hmm. But it's also just fun getting a glimpse into like a bygone time. Mm. I, I feel like there's a nostalgia to it. Yeah. You know, with the older cartoons and the, it, it being the 40s. And like, I'm not saying it was a better time or anything, but like there is always a nostalgia looking back. And yes. I agree. And it's just, it's fun. Like you're out of your realm and you know, they could have said it in modern times, but it's just not as fun. Yeah. And there's, it's just, a, there's like a style to it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, it worked. Mm-hmm. I know. What are the, the 80 detectives moonlighting? Right. <laughs> that type of, it would have had to have been something like that. And I, well, I'm sure. It's like it all synthesizers. And... Yeah. I, I think this was a, a better choice on, on their end. I agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I I like Eric. I also love the the forties and thirties and any stories that movies and things that are set in that era. Yeah. Well, and it's fun because in the in the movie you get more. Obviously, we talked about you get more of Eddie's backstory. Mm-hmm. Like you obviously you you make it interesting by having that conflict of he doesn't want to help because he doesn't like tunes, and then you get the reasoning why because his brother was killed by a tune, mm-hmm. um, and that's just interesting enough just from a storytelling standpoint. And then obviously, like, you could have left it at that, but then they made it so that the main antagonist is the one that killed his brother. Yeah. Which makes it, gives him that catharsis in the end. And mm-hmm. He can grow as a person. And I, I, I thought that was great. And then, you know, obviously he, he, he comes to like Roger as a, as a friend. And 
and all that, even though he can't stand him at times. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry for pulling your ears. He's like, all the time you pulled my ears? Yes. <laughs> but, so besides that, it made the ending bigger. Yeah. In the book, it was very small, and it was mm-hmm. always small. It was mainly just Rob, Roger. Mm-hmm. And like it never really got bigger than that. It, it, there's like a small like smuggling art art forgery scheme and and stuff oh, like yeah. that. And in, some of it, none of it really really went anywhere mm-hmm. for the story. Some of it were just kind of like red herrings. Um, but and then the whole genie thing. But it felt very small to me. It did. Yeah. Whereas the movie, it it starts small, but then you find out there's a whole lot more going on, and mm-hmm. it's going to impact a ton of people and if they fail like all these tunes are basically gonna die yeah yeah there was more at stake in the movie much more Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah and i think it made the ending a lot more satisfying right because it was it was uh bigger stakes but at the same time i i i've always loved everything honestly i just love the ending everything from your traditional you know, saving Roger and Jessica, kind of the trope of the hero needs to save. Well, in this case, it's not just the the femme fatale, but also the hmm. his client, and just the way he defeats uh, Judge Doom. Judge Doom at the end, um, and then of course the wrapping up. I, for me, the, the most classic part of that is the very end when the machine dip machine goes through the wall through the wall and it gets hit by the train. Yeah, <laughs> and then you have all the tunes coming out. You know. And the ending, and of course, ending even better, ending with Porky Pig and mm-hmm. his classic phrase. Porky Pig and then Tinkerbell. Oh yeah, that's right, Tinkerbell in there. Yes, that must have been the the because I, I was trying to think earlier when you were talking about how they gave him equal screen time. I'm like, who was it with Porky Pig, Tinkerbell? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. It was good. This one was different. It's hard to talk about them together mm-hmm. because they're so different. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I still think if if you like detective novels and you like the movie, give the book a try. If you don't like one of those two things, uh, then just listen to our podcast. You don't need to, Got to it. read it. Yeah. What would you would you agree with that about reading the book or no? I think it's it's fine, you know, it's it's worth a read, I guess. Mm-hmm. I I think the movie's better. <laughs> Well, no, we agree on that. <laughs> the movie is better. And I, I'm pretty sure at this point, I would be shocked. No, I, I shouldn't say that because there's a lot of younger people who, unless, I mean, it's harder with the day of streaming. It's like, at least in our day, it might pop up in a, a rerun as of a movie. Uh, I had it on a VHS tape. Oh, do you? Yeah, because if I hadn't shown it to my daughter, she never would have probably watched it. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, that is the biggest difference with... With things now, I've said it before. I said companies like Disney, they used to, they used to do throwbacks. Yeah. And obviously, back in the day, if you wa- wanted to watch a movie, you had to watch it in theaters, mm-hmm. or you had to watch a re-release in theaters. Yeah. Like in the '80s when Snow White came back and mm-hmm. and stuff. Like every, it was like every every decade they brought the movie back for a new audience. And then they threw it back in the vault. Yes. I always remember the word, yes. terminology. But then, you know, you know, VHS tapes came out. Mm-hmm. But then, like, TV. Because, like, you would watch the movie on TV. Yeah. And so you could now record with a VHS tape. Or you could buy it on VHS tape. And then Laserdisc and mm-hmm. DVD. But even Disney would even do that where they would release it temporarily right. on VHS. And then yeah. it would be gone for a while. But then, you know, they would, like, they had the wonderful world of Disney mm-hmm. on TV. And so they, that was... 
they would have new stuff, but then they would always show older things too. Yeah. And so they were always reacquainting people with their older stuff. And I liked that because I, f- I feel like you get a, a wider range. Yes. And- Unfortunately, I feel, yeah, no, I, I feel like today everything's lost. You know, Disney nowadays only pushes what's new. With streaming, you know, streaming's convenient, but with streaming, you can just pick and choose whatever you want to watch. But unless you know what you're looking for, because like a lot of the shows I grew up, or movies I grew up watching that I love to this day, like there was Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Oh, wow. That's random. Uh, I, but it's one of the, or Escape, to which Race Mountain? to Witch Mountain. Both. And, and Escape to Witch Mountain. Race to Witch Mountain, I think, is the remake. No, they had the two originally. Well, no, yeah, it was Return from Witch Mountain was oh, the sequel. Okay, never. Okay, I see yeah, that's the one with Return to Witch Mountain. That was the second one. Yeah, but unless you know about these things, how are you ever gonna? You know, most most people today are not gonna sit there and well, old and watch stuff. Them. In general, old stuff has always been looked down upon, mm-hmm. but especially nowadays, where everything moves so fast now, you get new things all the time. Yeah, and. Yeah, I, I always tell people is like, look, you have everything at your disposal for the most part yeah. online now. You can watch or listen to kind of whatever. Mm-hmm. It's like, so why not expand your horizon? I, I wish more people would do that. I know you listeners are, and thank you for <laughs> listening to us. And we know you are expanding your horizons with us. In fact, that's the point of this podcast. I've been able to learn so much more. Thanks to Eric. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, that I probably otherwise would not have. And so, no, I agree with you. It's, I wish there was a way this message could get out even to, you know, more out there. And hopefully as you listen to our podcast, it will whet your appetite to go and You could run for office. No. <laughs> I don't know how that'll help, but yeah, sure. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm really glad we did this one. It was good to see with movie again. It was good to be able to show it to my daughter and let her, her watch it and, um, heck, even reading the book. Yeah, I'm sure we've missed things. I'm sure <laughs> as we, we always did. do. Yeah, I'm, I I catch myself thinking of things we missed <laughs> in every podcast as as I go through my day. But you know that's fine. True, true. Great. Was there anything about the the movie, the plot of it, and the differences? I I don't know. I there's so much I could talk about. But yeah. You know, I think for the, the the purpose of our podcast, I think we've covered it all. Cool. I could go on a whole thing. I could I could just sing his praises forever. The harder question would be, is there anything I did not like about it? That's but, That'd be the harder question. For the movie? I watched it a couple weeks ago, so it has been some time. But in, even in re-watching it, the only thing the only thing that pops into my mind is that nitpicking that I, I did earlier. And that, was, and that was the scientific aspect of it is, you know, uh, how does a tune world fit in our world? But other than that, that's just me. <laughs> in my logic other than that no i can't think of anything either do you want to talk about the ride i've never actually been on it surprisingly i mean it has nothing to do <laughs> i know that would be the only way i think most people would even be exposed to this we could just say the movie did so well that it was such a critical and financial success that it, it literally was the reason that disney opened toontown at disneyland yeah yeah and I mean, Toontown now looks very different than it used to. Mm-hmm. It used to look a lot more like the movie version, and now it's more like the Disney Junior Disney yeah. stuff. But unfortunately, yeah, times have changed. I like to jokingly say that Toontown of my youth was the dangerous Toontown. <laughs> <laughs> it was seedier <laughs> in its own way. It was much more dangerous and prone to injury. 
But no, I think I think we've covered everything. Um, this was this was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. This this was definitely an easier one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was <laughs> I knew it was gonna be different. It was gonna be completely different. It's almost not even fair to say it's an adaptation because it's it's oh, it's pretty much entirely its own thing. It is. It is. I mean, but it's st- it still fits the criteria. So yeah. and I I don't know. I feel weird about that mm-hmm. because you know I don't. Obviously, Gary K. Wolf does not care. He loves the movie, and he's changed his books accordingly. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I'd feel really weird if someone, you know, bought the rights to one of my books mm-hmm. and then changed everything except for, like, the three main characters. He definitely does not fit the typical trope of an author. No. Because, yeah, most authors would, I mean, look at uh, Tolkien, I mean, Stephen King, heck, even comic book, what was his name? The one that I read today, uh, uh, Alan Moore for comics. Okay. And they hate the adaptations. Like Alan Moore did V for Vendetta, Swamp Thing, things like that. Yeah. I think the way I, I look at it I, is, again, I didn't do a ton of research on Gary K. Wolf, but the imp- I could be wrong, but the impression I got is like he he didn't have a lot of history writing mm. and this was just like a fun project for him. It seemed like, yeah, like he just really wanted to go crazy with this idea of what if tunes existed in the real world? And what if there was a murder mystery with a private detective, you know, like, and it was a fun idea. It's a cool concept. Do you know if this was his first novel? I don't know, but okay. I can look that up, but I'll let you do that. <laughs> well, I'm not, well, actually I was just going to look up the list of novels he's written. Cause Swarn was on here. I could have sw- and I'm pretty sure this was listed as his first. I think so. But the way I look at it at it might be that he saw what Disney did with it and and maybe he looked at it with this idea of you know, Disney took my characters to somewhere I couldn't do before. Mm, yeah. Like he he fleshed them out in a way that I couldn't or something like that. You know, I'm obviously supposing, but I don't know. I when it comes to story and characterization, like the movie is just far superior. No, I agree. Well, I'm glad that your daughter liked it. Yeah, me too. I, I, there's another movie that's an older Buena Vista Pictures, I believe, movie that I'm going to show her. That I think it's in the same time. It came out roughly the same time frame as this one. Uh, I'm hoping I enjoyed that movie. I'm curious to see how she, what she thinks of it. Um, Dick Tracy? Oh, I love Dick Tracy. Yeah, so I'm, that's the one of the next ones coming. It's like up you're watching Punisher. a comic book. Yeah, no, I I I loved that movie, but I know because there's no. Whereas at least this one has a ride that carries on its legacy. And mm-hmm. in fact, I was reading. Dick Tracy had a couple of live shows. They did briefly, Disney. but there's nothing left really. No, because the, I think it was popular when it first came out, but it didn't have legs. Oh, okay, that's what it seemed like for Dick Tracy. Hmm. They were working on Hypothetically, a... we could talk about Dick Tracy in another episode. That is an adaptation. That'd be cool. I'd be yeah. down for that. It would be a weird one to do, but we could talk about it. Yeah. We would read the original comics. Yeah, you want to wrap this up? <laughs> sure. I just want... I think... Yeah, I think it is his first novel. This time. Oh, favorite character. Oh, that's right. Do you have one? Not for the book. I, I think in the book, I don't. I can't really say any of the characters stood out with form to me. If I if I had to pick someone from the book, it would be Eddie. That's the closest thing I get to it. A character in the book that I really and even then I can't say I really enjoyed movie. it. From the movie, 
It's the same character, Eddie <laughs> Valiant. I I appreciated the the journey of his character. I I love Eddie. He's a great character. Bob Hoskins is great. Mm-hmm. It's weird because he's British, and I'm so used to him speaking with an American accent in this movie. <laughs> that was funny. That when I see him with a British accent, I'm just like, what? Yeah. But I really want to say that my favorite character is Roger, mm-hmm. just because he's so funny, and he's so. Like he he's fleshed out. Like he's not just goofy. Yeah. Like yeah. he 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 is well rounded and and but he has some of the funniest lines. Mm-hmm. But this is this is gonna sound funny. But you know who my favorite character I think in the movie actually is. Who's that? Dolores. Yeah, I I, <clears throat> I can is see like that. Eddie's like kind of girlfriend mm-hmm. who works at the bar, <laughs> but like helps him out. That yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I liked her because she. She was spunky. She was funny. Mm-hmm. She was tough, but she was also kind. And yeah, she she provided get, an anchor for him. Y- yes, mm-hmm. and she humanized him. And, yes, and you can tell that there was a lot of history there. Mm-hmm. But you can also tell that she really cares for him, and and she stands by him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's just something about her character that every time I watch it, I'm always like, I like her. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a scene. There's that scene where. Um, because she's she's always looking out. She's always trying to do what's best for mm-hmm. them. And there's that scene where um, the the fight in the bar starts to to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you look in the background, she's holding up a bat. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but she she seems like she's always cool under pressure. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I liked her. She was a brand new addition for the film. She was. Yeah, definitely not in the book. No, and I'm glad they added her. Her and and a couple of the other ones they added. Like they added um his friend who was the cop. Mm-hmm. Like you get the impression they used to work together on the police force. Mm. Yeah, he he was actually in Star Wars. Really? Yeah, I think he's one of the ones in A New Hope who gets choked. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember. I just remember that he was in Star Wars. I'll have to pay attention again. Yeah. yeah. But I think I'm good. I think I've covered everything. I can't think of anything. All else. right, let's wrap this up. So, we agree, the best of the two definitely was the film. Yes. I wasn't even going to give you a chance to pretend it was the book. (laughs) You know I would have, too. Yes. Well, you know that the film is far superior where on the back of the book, the author is situated next to the film version of (laughs) Jessica Rabbit. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it was... (laughs) There's no no comparison between the two. (laughs) Okay. Uh, now I think it's time for my favorite part of this. What <laughs> what type of adaptation is this? I don't know. What type of adaptation is this? And for those of you who have not listened to our podcast before, please check out our trailer where we go more in-depth onto the four types of adaptations that we talk about. But the first one is true to the source material. Mm-hmm. Second is expanded. Third is artistic, artistic. And the last one is message-driven. And... This one, I think, is a tough one. It's definitely not true to the source material. Very true. It's I know. completely different from the source material. It's basically its own story. Yeah. Well, that, that would make it more artistic then, right? Because it's not expanded. I mean, in a way... In a way it is, but it's, it's not expanded because it's a different story. Yeah. And then... Uh, I would... I can venture a guess, but I want to hear what you say first. I don't, I would, I don't feel it's message driven because I don't feel like that was the whole point of it. I mean, they kind of added the historical aspects into it. Right. But I would have to say artistic. Sure. Mm -hmm. 
I think I'm actually going to... I don't think I can settle on one okay. for this one. I think, I think I'm going to have to say this one is quasi-artistic, but also message-driven. Okay. What's the message is kind of what we talked about? Well, I think the message is... You know, because the original one is very nitty gritty. It's 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 similar to like a film noir, and you never really get to know the characters very well. And and yeah, <laughs> no, no, I agree. And in the new one, it's definitely much more family friendly. It's mm-hmm. definitely you get to know the characters more, and um, they're they're all better characters for sure. Like they have a completely new villain. Yeah, yeah. Roger Rabbit's not the villain in this one. Which, I mean, you don't really want him to be the villain in the original one, but he's the one who did it, so he is technically. That's true. <laughs> I mean, the true villain is the genie, but... <laughs> yeah. But I think it's there's no, like, concrete message, except, you know what? No, there. I would say it is because they, they, they basically took the script from one of the Chinatown sequels. That's so, what I was wondering if you were going to lean towards for the message. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... And it's definitely more artistic because they, they definitely lean more into the idea of these of, of their own version of the tunes you know mm-hmm. because these these tunes are definitely more from cinema yes and and they definitely like recreated this world so it was in the, the late 40s and um they, they leaned into like classic hollywood and and so it's it's not artistic like when we did pride and prejudice mm-hmm. but like I, that's why I said I don't think it really fits into one category cleanly. You should create a fifth one then. Oh jeez, I don't. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think it fits with how you're explaining it, because I, I, I do have that sense of message as well. Like when we were talking about the whole, I mean, even with the whole, I don't even know what the message would be, but the cars and moving away from, you know, adding a like the way when the judge is explaining the future with. Freeways oh, sure, yeah. and pollution. I mean, he didn't quite say that, but we're, we know that's what they're <laughs> they're leaning towards. Right. Yeah. So now I agree with you. I agree with you on that one, on those two. I should say. Yeah, I think I think it's tough just because it's so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I mean, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. No, it was cool. I really, I really enjoyed. I liked the movie, and the, the book was all right. <laughs> So, well, we hope you enjoyed our discussion. Thanks for listening. Yes, and if you have um, any disagreements, <laughs> yeah, no. If if you if you want to venture into the novel, it'd be fun to do like it. a revisited episode, like where if people wrote in to us and said things they disagreed with, or yes, had some insights we couldn't think of, or... yeah, and make sure you give at least a reasoning, not just it sucked, we disagree with you, or you <laughs> suck. That doesn't help. No, please. Those get deleted. <laughs> yes, they do. Pretty much or ignored. But now, if you disagree with us, we would love to hear why. Uh, if you have any other things you would like to add, maybe down the line we'll do a... If we have enough, we'll do a mailbag of some sort. Oh, yeah. And stay tuned for further episodes because we have a very, very wide range of, of things to talk about. Yes. We will gladly take any suggestions. However, keep in mind, we do have a kind of loose schedule. So we'll try to fit in anything we can as, as, it, as things pop up. But um, we hope you enjoyed listening to our discussion here. Unfortunately, we didn't argue as much as we have in maybe one or two of the other past. But maybe you learned a few things. <laughs> yeah, so. I did. I have to admit. Now I'm going to go watch the, the videos uh, probably tomorrow. You should. I will. So okay. well, thank thanks you for joining again. us. Yes. And we'll catch we'll you later. See you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast, Willing to Adapt. 
please like and subscribe. Maybe leave a review, or just share us with friends and family. We would also love if you would follow us on social media. If you have ideas for future episodes for us, please email us at ericandromi at willingtoadapt.com. That's Romy with an I. And remember, when the only thing constant in life is change, be willing to adapt. adapt.